from the studios of Bay FM in Byron Bay and broadcasting across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Not Thinking Straight with Michael Mack, a broadcast that celebrates the talent and diversity of the LGBTQ plus community and their allies and provides a place to showcase their remarkable voices and stories. There is so much I love about Emerald City, the very first gay TV news show, or any show for that matter, from 1977. It's equal parts important archival material, a collection of wonderful interviews, and so much corn you could grow a field with it. And here's my favourite line from the episode of Emerald City we will present to you today. I'd like to stop here and reiterate something that we first put forth to you back in April of 77 when we began production of this program. The material depicted on the show is often left to the taste and discretion of the producers. If there is something that you would like to see on the program, uh, and of course it would have to be of reasonable taste, please drop us a line and we'll attempt to accommodate you. I wonder what he thought reasonable taste was in 1977 and just how accommodating he actually was. Yeah, I don't mind. Once when I was seven years old, I sat on a banana. And of course, that changed my life. On this week's episode of Emerald City, you will hear an interview with Arthur J. Bresson Jr. Arthur Bresson was an American director, writer, producer, documentarian and gay pornographer, best known for pioneering independent queer cinemas in the United States during the 1970s and 80s. He wrote and directed the 1985 feature film Buddies, which was the first American film to grapple with the subject of the AIDS pandemic. Other directorial endeavours include the largely influential 1978 documentary Gay USA, which was the first documentary by and about LGBT people. In the 1983 feature film Abuse. He was born in Manhattan, New York City on May 27, 1943, and died on July 29, 1987, at the age of 44. And we'll be playing that interview in our first hour. We open our second hour with a visit to Driftwood. I'm from Driftwood is a wonderful project that tells stories of ordinary, everyday LGBTQ folk. End this episode, you'll hear Simone and Sam tell their stories of love and dating. Also in our second hour, the queer guru is back. And this week he's talking to Aaron Baer, the director of a fabulous new documentary that's doing the festival circuit entitled Yes, I Am, The Rick Wyland Story. A deeply moving story of a quiet gay philanthropist who changed the world for so many people living with HIV and AIDS in his own special way. And we're very fortunate to have access to the archives of John Frame, John was a pioneer in LGBT radio in Brisbane, and I'm sure you'll love his interview with the Kransky sisters coming up after the news. Now on Not Thinking Straight, it's time for the Not Thinking Straight news. Tell us about it, Janet. This is the Not Thinking Straight News, brought to you by the letters L, G, B, T, Q and I. Please explain. And we begin this episode of Not Thinking Straight News with some happy stories. Gold Coast teen Emily Ross is in line for the top BAFTA Film Prize this year. The BAFTA Film Prize is a Bond University Film and Television Award. 
Emily Ross's Queer Love Video Contracts in Candlelight is one of the top three finalists for this year's Music Video Prize. Her school is also dominating the nominations. All three finalist positions for the Music Video category have been taken by students from her school. For their senior school media assignment, students were asked to create a video for a royalty-free song. Students must then film and edit the final product, which is submitted to the annual BAFTA Awards. Rather than use a generic song, Emily decided to put her musical talents to use. Instead, she wrote and recorded her own original song, Contracts in Candlelight. When it came to creating the video for her song, Emily wanted to show something different to what is normally seen in music videos. Growing up, I never saw this sort of representation in music videos, she said. I can't think of any time I saw anything like this. So instead, I wanted to make something different and have a chance to tell a different story through my music. The final product is a beautiful and poetic queer love video featuring two young women as they reminisce their romance. You can watch Contracts in Candlelight, the video, on Vimeo. But in the meantime, here is the song, and it's really quite special. Consolation prize The blurry lines Back to the time when what's yours was mine Now I'm searching for shadows In the dead of night I know we've let each other down Some things are lost and never found But our spark's gone out Now I can see the lies And read between the lines But I guess that's what we get for Signing contracts in candlelight And leaving in the middle of the night Starting another endless fight We're only doing it out of spite Cause we never felt like it was right But we signed a contract in candlelight Oh, 
contract and candlelight. What a beautiful song. Contracts in Candlelight by Emily Ross, a finalist in this year's Bond University Film and Television Awards. In film news, LGBTQ ally Angela Jolie has spoken of her sadness at the ignorant countries that have banned her new film Eternals over its gay content. The new Marvel superhero film tells the story of ten immortal beings with superhuman powers who are fighting the deviants. In the film, Fastos, Brian Tari Henry, is married to his male spouse, Ben, played by Haas Sleeman. Fastos is the Marvel Cinematic Universe's first gay character in a starring role. The pair also make Marvel history when they kiss on screen in the film. The world of heterosexual is a sick and boring life. But Saudi Arabia, Kuwait and Qatar have reportedly banned the film over the same-sex scenes. Homosexuality is still illegal across the Gulf nations. Angelina Jolie, who stars in Eternals as Thena, said she's proud of Marvel for refusing to cut out those scenes. I still don't understand how we live in a world where there's still people who would not see the family Fastos has and the beauty of that relationship and love, she told news.com.au. How anybody is angry about it, threatened by it, doesn't approve or appreciate it, is ignorant. I'm sad for those audiences, and I'm proud of Marvel for refusing to cut those scenes out. Eternals director Chloe Zhao previously said she and Marvel had spoken of not allowing overseas countries to edit the film. Eternals is currently playing in Australian cinemas. Five years ago, Thanos erased half of the population of the universe. But the people of this planet brought everyone back with a snap of a finger. The sudden return of the population provided the necessary energy for the emergence to begin. How long do we have? Seven days. My goodness, that's how long it takes me to put this show together. In more happy news, veteran broadcaster, well that's a bit of a stretch, Alan Jones revealed last week he has been dumped from Sky News after management chose not to renew his contract. It's nice to know that even Alan Jones is too toxic for Sky News. But whether they'll dump him at sea or shove a sock down his throat is entirely unknown. Well, at the end of what can only be described as an horrific week, it's been a pleasure having your company, all my viewers out there, on Alan Jones on Sky News for the past 17 months. Many will never come back. Piss off, big head! Just trying to make a quid to pay tax. Thank you to all the Sky News people behind the scenes who've helped. Let's learn the names and sounds of farm animals. Cow. Sheep. Horse. Goat. Pig. And to my little team, Luke and Dan and Cooper, Jake, Vass, hello Vass, Nadia, haven't you seen seen you Joe for ages? And Michael by two, we've got a Michael here and a Michael there. Remember, you can still find me. Goose. (coughs) 
Don't have that lying bitch on your program again. I had to move the dial to another station. And I think that about covers that. We made a lot of valid points there. We've just got to avoid in our criticism the personal. We stick to the policy. We never deal with the personal. That fool Windsor wanted broadband. That idiot Wilkie in Tasmania wanted poker machine reform. They've struck a tax which is half of what that fool Garno said it should be. What about this brain-dead Sarah Hanson Young from the Greens? You dope, Clover Moore. You died in the wall, dope. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. And quite frankly, they should shove her and Bob Brown in a chaff bag and take them as far out to sea as they can and tell them to swim home. We never deal with the personal... And finally on NTS News, if you missed Elton John during his last concert in Sydney in March 2020, fear not. In a recent interview, the legendary singer hinted he may make a few final concert appearances in Australia before his farewell Yellow Brick Road tour finally wraps up in the summer of 2023. My family and I will be coming to Australia for Christmas in 2022. My boys have absolutely fallen in love with Australia, Sir Elton said. Elton is currently engulfed in a media blitz promoting his latest album, The Lockdown Sessions. The album contains duets with Stevie Wonder, Charlie Puth, Nicki Minaj, Young Thug, Stevie Nicks, Brandy Carlisle and Dua Lipa, who also appears on Cold Heart. During the interview, Elton also spread his love for the Australian dance music trio Panu, who collaborated on his massive number one hit, Cold Heart. Elton said he expects to start up his tour again in January in America and anticipates finishing in the summer of 2023. The tour's European leg, due to get underway in September, was postponed when Elton suffered injuries to his leg in a fall, which caused him considerable pain and discomfort. That's the last time I'll be doing it because I've had enough. I need to spend more time with my family. I've done it and I'm going out on a high note. I'll always be involved in music, I'll always be making music, but I'm not going to be performing live again. So keep your ears out for an announcement about some possible Australian concerts. And we'll finish the new segment with a song from Elton John and Lil Nas X from the lockdown sessions called One of Me. I like this, I don't like that. Don't you do that Say you wanna me, say you wanna me, yeah, yeah Say you wanna me, say you wanna me, yeah, yeah I like this, I don't like that Do this here, don't you do that Say you wanna me, say you wanna me, yeah, yeah Say you wanna me, say you need the validation Tell me that you think you on top your last creation Word on the block is you fell off and I'm just saying If it ain't no town road, little Nazi ain't playing Nigga, just stick to what you best And I suggest make another one like this huh, Yeah, oh, I know it hurt your soul to know it was only luck huh, If you drop a song, nigga, we won't give a fuck, no I like this, I don't like that don't you do that Say you wanna me, say you wanna me, yeah, yeah Say you wanna me, say you wanna me, yeah, yeah I like this, I don't like that Do this here, don't you do that Say you wanna me, say you wanna me, yeah, yeah Say you wanna me, say you wanna me, yeah, yeah. Use a meme, use a joke 
joke, been a gimmick from the go All the things that you do just to get your face to show Oh, you think you big shit, big pimpin', let me know Ain't the next big thing, you the next thing to go Now, can you prove yourself, everybody waiting on I'm just being real, spend somebody hate I don't see you lasting long, and that's just me being honest Even if your album okay is flopping, that's a promise So I like this, I don't like that Don't you do that Say you wanna me, say you wanna me, yeah Say you wanna me, say you wanna me, yeah I like this, I don't like that Do this here, don't you do that Say you wanna me, say you wanna me, yeah John Frame was actively involved with Brisbane Community Radio, 4ZZZ FM's LGBT support program, Queer Radio, from December 1993 until his last show in February 2009. For most of that time, certainly late 1994 to 2006, he had been both anchor, presenter and producer. His catalogue of work is quite extraordinary and I spoke to John recently and he's very kindly allowed me to delve into his archive and share some of his work here on Not Thinking Straight. John has a strong commitment to social justice and has been a prominent figure in Brisbane's LGBTQ community and in working for the civil rights of LGBT people. In future episodes, I will be talking to John about his life, but we're going to begin with an interview he recorded on the 7th of November 2005 with the Kransky Sisters. For those not familiar with the Kransky Sisters, here's a little taste of their work. We are the Kransky Sisters from Esk in Queensland. Esk in Queensland. It's so nice to be here in Sydney at the Sideshow. Sideshow. It's like one big party. Party, yes. We went to a party the other day. Our neighbour, Mrs Winks, she had a party because her nephew had come up Max. He bought his dog a Rottweiler called Bruce. Bruce had to stay outside, though, because Mrs Winks has a prize-winning pet cat. It's a Persian. Bruce was such a lovely dog, though. I found a twig in our backyard and threw it over to him. He danced around with us and we played fetch. And then, of course, he ended up having a good old chew on it. Moon. That was Wilbur, my 28-centimetre stick insect. <laughs> that nephew, that nephew, she had, uh, Max was a joker, wasn't he? And he? He had one of these whoopee cushions, and he put it under a fluffy pillow disguised, and Dawn sat on it. It made an embarrassing noise. <laughs> You shouldn't have got so upset. He was only trying to make some fun. I myself went into the patio, and there was a fluffy cushion there too, and he must have put a disguise under that, because when I sat on it, it made a strangled sort of squealing sound. <laughs> I bounced up and down on it until it fizzled out. I had so much fun. Moon, that was Mrs. Winx's Persian cat. <laughs> I'm 
tense and nervous and I can't relax I can't sleep cause my bed's on fire Don't touch me, I'm a real live wire Psycho killer But you can't quite finish it. You're talking a lot, but you're not really saying anything. And I have nothing to say. My lips should be sealed. Say something once while you say it again. Psycho killer, guess you say you're low do, you're low do. Run, 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 run away. You're low do, low do. Psycho killer, guess you say. Hello, it's John here. John Frame from Queer Radio on 4 Z in Brisbane. Hello, John. Hello, John. How are you, Morn and Eve? I'm good, John. This is Morn and Eve here too. Hello, John. That's Eve. How are the Kransky sisters? Very good, John. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, a nice day today. It's beautiful. You're actually in Brisbane at the moment? Yes. we just come down because we've got to do a show at a playhouse and they're showing us we had to come with our car, yes. Okay. Because you haven't played the Playhouse before, have you? You've been at Cupat, at Cremorne Theatre, but not yes. the Playhouse. Yes, yes, not the Playhouse. It's a big theatre, isn't it? Certainly. You're confident that you'll get big houses? We don't live in a very big house. <laughs> it's right. a three-bedroom house. It's a three-bedroom house, mm-hmm. yes. It was our uncle's house. Okay, but the, the last I heard... Your sister Alva, wasn't she living in a humpy at the back? Yes, she yes. lived in the humpy down the back. Uh-huh. She and I put up egg cartons because she practices so loud. <laughs> Fair enough. So why, if it's a three-bedroom house, isn't she allowed in the house to live there? Well, that's our mother's... Uh, the third bedroom was our mother's room. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's locked up. locked up. And the second bedroom, that's our craft room. When Alva left to go to Tafe to Woomba... Yes. We made it our craft room. Yes, she studied for two years. Her father paid for it. Mm. Tafe to Woomba. Tafe to Woomba. So even I took over the room. Oh, all right, that's fine. Is this, there has been a suggestion, a strong element of what makes the Kransky sisters who they are is that they're spinsters. And I'm just wondering what if there was another element? If, for example, one of you 
did fall in love or that you as a family met a man who was um, friendly enough to want to marry one of the sisters as happened in Little Women how welcoming would the household be then to a man coming in and living with you? Dear, I don't know we've never really thought about that I mean he'd have to sleep in the humpy <laughs> Arthur would have to move out into the house maybe into the house wow. yes okay. Arthur could come and sleep in the craft room then and he can sleep in the humpy Okay. So this wouldn't be the end of the Kransky sisters if there was a marriage? No one will get married. <laughs> we don't need anyone. We're happy how we are. That's fine. Is Perry Slice is nice. Yes, I like him too. Who Who is Perry? Perry Slice works at the local abattoir. He's a friend of our manager, Earl Manison, who runs the RSL. Lovely. Now, and he, he, he likes, he likes Eve. Uh, He's a vegetarian. So am I. The, oh, vegetarian. How old are you? I'm 50. 50? Mm. That's a nice age. I'm only 40. Kegs, Mo and Ken John come over for some, a yes. cup of tea. <laughs> I would love to. I would love to. Actually, after seeing you perform at the Cremont Theatre... I met you afterwards, and I whispered in Eve's ear, Eve, that you were my favourite Kransky. But do you find that people have favourites? Do they like the whole group, or do they tend to have one single Kransky they love? Yes, they seem to, to have lots of favourites. Sometimes when people yell out Ava. <laughs> Different people, but I think mm. the men all like Eve. Hmm. It might because be... Because she's just uh, nice. Yes. But everyone, father eats so much chocolate. Every, everyone likes the um, different things. Different ones, yes. Different yeah. things. Yeah. Now, the Kranskys, from my experience of seeing you live on stage as well as on Steve Abbott's in Siberia tonight, is that you really are quite a visual act. That's a huge amount of the appeal. But yes. I was just going to ask, if you decide to record music, then would you prefer to record in a live setting or would you go into a studio and record separately? It's a good question. I think that we'd probably record it at the front of our fireplace at home. Mm. Yes. We have nice acoustics in the room. The fibro gives a nice acoustic. It does, which is where I'm standing at the moment, in fact. So will there be recordings published by the Kranskys? There will be apparently a DVD yes. early next year. Yes. Wow. But um, I think it would be nice to have a CD as well. Mm. Yeah. Now, a tape or a cassette. Yeah. <laughs> you can fit a lot on a cassette. Absolutely. When you get into that multimedia format, though, there will be more people around the world well aware of you. And a man after that show at the Cremont Theatre that time... I heard him suggest to you that you might go over well in the States. Yes. Morden is New York in the States. Yes. Because we might that, go there. That man said that we might go there. Yes. We may be, be going to New York. Woo. Edinburgh. Yes, and Edinburgh next year. And Montreal. Yes. Okay. Because you've certainly got the credentials. You've received awards at the Melbourne... Comedy club? Yeah, yeah, comedy festival. Right. And do you mind if people 
laugh during your shows if they're paying attention to um, how you're presenting the music as much as how you're playing it? Sometimes we do mean to be funny and people laugh. It's interesting. Hmm. No, we don't mind. If they can want to laugh, they, that's their business. It's hmm. good to be happy. Ah, absolutely. Before they put you in a box. <laughs> Can you tell us if there are any particularly great new songs that you'll be working on in this show? Because it is a new show that you're doing. Brand new, yes. We have all new songs. Yes. Mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix. Ah. Yes. And some Stephen Wolf. Beautiful. Simon and Garfunkel. Easy, easy. Uh huh. Jim Cruz. You with Mix. Ah, beautiful. Yes. Now, you performed at the Sydney Opera House? Yeah, yes, and next year too. Right. So would that be about the pinnacle of your career or do you find that there are some intimate shows that you've done where you find that the audience were just as one with you? So many, um, so many of the concerts we feel at one, at one yes. with the audience. Yes. And when we went on a tour recently at West, West and... Our smallest audience was 20 people, yes. and um, we we felt very one with them too, yes. as we did with 3,000 at Woodford. Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's a huge crowd. Yes, we had 3,500 people at our concert in, in Woodford. That's excellent. Now, can I hear Arva actually practicing in the background there? Yes, she yes. is. So is is Arba not really inclined to talk? Is is or are you even more just more comfortable being the the mouthpieces for the Kranskis? Yes, yeah, she doesn't speak in public. <laughs> There's a preview on Tuesday, on the fifteenth, and your shows then run through to the nineteenth at the Playhouse yeah. at Cupac. What's the penultimate part of the show? Well, we we might be cooking on stage. Mm-hmm. And there will be a few surprises. Few surprises. There's a very big surprise at the beginning. You're only not allowed to tell you it's a surprise. <laughs> All right. And for merchandising, I happen to have one of the Kransky's souvenir tea towels here at home. Yes. Things like this will still be available. Yes. Yes. It'll be available. Yes. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to. It. I'll be at the preview on Tuesday night. Oh, good. And then I'll be able to enthusiastically rave about you. Come and say hello, John. Come and say hello. I shall. John sounds nice. Yes. <laughs> yes. I pass on. Yes, be quiet. Yes. <laughs> I'll pass on the love of all of our queer radio audience to you, and we'll see you then. Yes, okay. send our love to the, the queer radio people. Yes, say hello, everyone. Bye, Morn. Bye, Eve. Goodbye, John. Goodbye, John. See you soon.
I want sexual healing. When I get that feeling, I want sexual healing. When I get that feeling, I want sexual healing. Sexual healing. Sexual healing. Sexual healing. Something that is good for me. John Frame talking with the Kransky sisters back in 2005 and how wonderful to relive those memories. We look forward to hearing more of John's interviews in our future broadcasts. And if you go to queerradio.org, there's a wealth of history there. And now I'm not thinking straight, it's time to enter the Emerald City. Kansas anymore. We must be over the rainbow. In olden days, a glimpse of stockings was looked out as something shocking. Now, heaven knows. Just silly gigolos So though I'm not a great romancer I know that I'm bound to answer When you propose Anything goes Over the past several years, many individuals working both separately and in groups have been doing all they can to change the gay image in most media. These people have written plays, composed songs, they've uh, made films, and they've even produced television shows. We're happy to have as our guest this evening one of these people. Coming up shortly, we'll be taking a look at the new feature-length documentary, Gay USA. On hand will be the fellow who produced and directed the film, Arthur Bresson, Jr. Joining Mr. Bresson will be John Rome, who himself wrote, produced, and directed the uh, science fiction video production INC, or Inc., which was shot in San Francisco uh, last year. We'll be showing you some film clips from Gay USA and be talking with Mr. Bresson coming up shortly. I'd like to stop here and reiterate something that we first put forth to you back in April of 77 when we began production of this program. 
The material depicted on the show is often left to the taste and discretion of the producers. If there is something that you would like to see on the program, uh, and of course it would have to be of reasonable taste, please drop us a line and we'll attempt to accommodate you. I'd like to remind you again, if you enjoy this program, please return the favor by, uh, by supporting our sponsors. They're the people that make this show possible. We'll pause here and continue with the Emerald City after this. Stay tuned. At the turn of the century, Baron Wilhelm von Gleuden found a paradise in the ancient exotic town of Taormina. He spent most of his life in this breathtaking fantasy land photographing its classically beautiful views. These images, reproduced from original prints in duotone and sepia, are now available in a handsome book. The perfect gifts in $19.95 plus $1 postage to Von Gloyden, Camera Graphic Press, Box 1702, FDR Station, New York, 10022. State residents had sales tax orders shipped within 48 hours. Von Gloyden's photographs of the classic male nude. You may find it difficult locating Jan Wallman's but the best things in life aren't always easy to find. Jan Wallman's, 28 Cornelia Street, where 6th Avenue meets West 4th. Jan Wallman's, fine food in a fine setting. Keep good memories with good music. You'll find it all at Happy Tunes. Happy Tunes, 53 West 8th Street, in the village. Ice Palace 57. A new age in disco. No membership required. Ice Palace 57. Opening December 1st. Metrolines, 24-hour live answering service. Rates are from $5 monthly. Friendly, efficient Metrolines. Though those moments were apart, it seems so long. The love we share. deep inside it's hard to know just who we can confide in but up and of the sky. 
situation, it was impossible to be gay and be happy. So I got married and had a family and was moderately happy, nothing to get excited about for 15 and a half years. Did you have gay friends? Uh, I did, but I didn't know it. And Any lovers? No, none until after I came out. And that was in 75. What caused you to come out? I met a lady and talked with her and was able for the first time in my life to express my feelings without being laughed at or given dirty looks. Hello, I'm John Rahman. and welcome to the Emerald City. Tonight I'm talking with Arthur J. Bresson, Jr., maker of the film Gay USA, a film about gay people, gay lifestyles, and this country's gay pride parades. At its opening in San Francisco, Gay USA was received like Marilyn Monroe at a USO show. The audience was ecstatic over it, and with good reason. Gay USA is an uplifting, inspiring, and very positive film. And we're going to be talking with Arthur J. Bresson, the maker of the film. Let me start off by asking you. I okay. was in the audience the night it opened, and I couldn't help thinking about how you must have been responding to that reaction that you, you created. Well, I felt really great. Uh, there had been a lot of pressure. We made the film in about two months. We shot it in one day. And uh, to hear those 1,600 people go crazy on cue uh, was really wonderful. It Did was, you expect that kind of reaction? We knew, uh, my editor and I knew there would be reactions at different spots along the film. We thought there would be, but it's a different thing to feel 1,600 people go crazy. It was amazing, <laughs> just amazing. How did you get that many people into the theater? There was relatively little publicity that I uh, knew about. There was a little pre-publicity. The Advocate did a pre-interview with me, and the local papers ran little boxes, but a lot of word of mouth. Uh, Harvey Milk sold tickets uh, at his store. My roommates went out and put up leaflets. It was a real people production. Where did you get the idea to make the film? Uh, I was in the Orange Tuesday demonstration. That was the reaction to Anita Bryant, Dade County vote yeah. on June 7th, I think. And in front of City Hall, I just was really, really mad that the vote had gone the way it went and that uh, a lot of my gay friends were feeling a little queasy and guilty about being gay. So I thought, well, I'll declare war on this whole situation by making a movie about it. So How were you to... able to find the backing? What did it cost? Well, the film cost $8,000 to the night of the premiere. We started out with no cash. Uh, I ordered the film COD and then, once it was sitting at the Greyhound Terminal, the raw stock, uh, started calling up a friend saying, listen, I need $900 to pick up some raw stock at the Greyhound Terminal. <laughs> and we pretty much made the film hand to mouth about 3 or $4 ahead of the creditors, uh -huh. which is pretty exciting and also uh, perhaps also producing. I'm wondering, here is a film that you put together that everything had to be got pretty much on one day or not at all. Mm -hmm. How much were you able to direct what was going on or was it more like producing the film? Well, it was... A lot of ego, but a lot of letting go of ego. Uh, I talked to the camera people long distance, told them the types of shots I wanted, mass shots, close-ups. But then the day of the parade, I let it all go and realized that I couldn't be behind all those viewfinders myself. So we had about 25 camera people in different cities, five different cities. And you had the helicopter person going up and all this. Did you tell people what to ask? Did you tell your reporters what you wanted to find out? There were three questions that we asked. Uh, one, are you gay? We call that popping the question. Uh, what do you think of the parade today? And if you could invite one person from history, one gay person, who would you invite here today? Alexander the Great, Walt Whitman, you know, uh, uh, Willa Cather. So those are the three set questions. A question that popped up during the actual parade was, 
uh, are you angry about what's been happening to gay people? We asked mm -hmm. that of everyone. So we got to sort of set responses and strung them all together in the film. With the are you gay question, why don't we have a look at the film clip that shows this. Are you gay? Sure. No, man. Um, depends on what you mean by gay. What's happening? Are you gay? No. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I can classify myself. Well, I, that's really none of your business. Everyone is homosexual and heterosexual in the same body. Everyone is male and female in the same body. But, uh, but am I gay? What do you mean by the word gay? It's what's in your head. Are you gay? Yes, I am. Are you gay? Yes, I am. Are you gay? Yep. Are you gay? Yes, I am. You? Yes. Are you gay? Yes. Are you gay? Having a good time? Are you gay? Yes. Having a good time? Right on. You bet. Are you gay? Of course, why not? Are you gay? Are you gay? Are you gay? I definitely am gay. Yeah. You sure? I'm positive. I'm positive. Yes, I am. Yes. Yes. Of course. I consider myself a bisexual person. I'm sexually turned on to men and women, and also that I, th I think I'm politically committed to men and women. Yes, I am. Forever? Yes, forever. Well, I'm of every persuasion and type, and I don't think that uh, popular myths should be limited to one particular viewpoint. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No. Sure. No. Are you straight? <laughs> yeah. I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no? No. I could be, but I haven't had any experience. No, well, I can't really restrict myself to just being gay. I'm, I'm not straight either. And I'm not bi, really. I, I consider myself pansexual. Oh, yes, I am. Today I'm more than gay. Today I'm jubilant. <laughs> really? Yes, I've been homosexual as far back as I can remember, which is a long way back, because I'm almost 60. Have you been in San Francisco for long? Yes, I've been in San Francisco since World War II. Uh, did anything in particular draw you out here to this city? Well, San Francisco's always been an open city that everyone came to. It's the last frontier. And when I came out here with the Army, I decided this is where I belong. Are you gay? <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely gay. I really like that sequence. It's uh, really fun to watch all those people saying what they really are. Yeah, you, you did put them on the spot. We're going to take a break for a little gay capitalism and be right back. Twilight, New York's only true international cruise bar with unbeatable service and drinks. At Twilight, people don't just stand around and pose. They talk, meet, and react. Visit Twilight tonight. Get into the holiday spirit. Together, the gay community of the East and West Side Bars and the one-to-one -one organization are sponsoring the fifth annual Christmas party for the retarded children of New York. It will be held the Sunday afternoon, December 18th at 1.30 p.m. at the Manhattan Developmental Center on 75 Morton Street in the Village. All are invited. If you can, please bring a small gift for one of the kids and, of course, some good cheer. For more information, call 725-1045. If you're interested in where to buy, what to find, and how to pay, spend your money gay. Pick up a copy of the Gay Yellow Pages and shop around. Uh. 
now is the time to visit the world's largest emporium of erotica. Come, experience New York's most extensive selection of adult magazines, films, and paperbacks. 250 Book Center and GNA Books. No matter what you're seeing, if it's the finest in visuals you're after, we've got it all. Two locations in Manhattan. 250 Book Center at 250 West 42nd Street. GNA Bookstore located at 251 West 42nd Street. Come on over. You never know who you might bump into. The Big Top is growing. The people who brought you the finest in adult films now introduce the Broadway Arms, Manhattan's newest 24-hour action spot. The Broadway Arms is a one-stop, complete leisure facility designed for your total enjoyment. While there, visit the Cafe Expresso, home of the Queen Burger, the place where you can get a good piece of meat anytime. The Big Top Theater, the Broadway Arms, and the Cafe Expresso all open 24 hours. We doze, but never close. Listening to Not Thinking Straight with Michael Mack, and this is Emerald City, a rare insight into the archives of the 1970s of America's first gay TV show. In case you just tuned in, I'm John Rome, and I'm talking with Arthur J. Bresson, Jr., maker of the film Gay USA. I wonder what kind of market you're looking for in the film. Have you found a distributor? Well, we looks like we have a distributor as of today, New Line Cinema, and uh, our market for the film is uh, all Americans, gay and straight. When we cut the film and conceived it, we viewed it as playing to the broad base of the American public. Uh, I don't think the extreme right-wing element would be interested in the film, but it's... What kind of reactions do you get from straight people? Straight people find the film non-threatening, but very informative. Most of them are unaware that there are this many gay people in the country, because in the film you see hundreds of thousands of gay people and their friends. So it's like a real educative shock, in a nice way, to straight people. And they like the film. They're not so emotionally involved the way gay people are. So. Have you had any negative reactions or difficulties, hostilities, prejudices uh, in making or distributing the film? Well, the film plays differently in a small screening situation. When it's in a theater with an audience, most people really dig it. I understand you're going to be showing a TV screening in Wichita. Yeah, the film is going to be playing on local TV in Wichita to help present positive gay images to defend their gay rights bill, which is a prototype from Dade County. I'd love to see what kind of reaction you, you get on that. Well, there are some people from Wichita in the movie who speak, some uh, women, lesbian women, who talk about leaving Wichita and coming to San Francisco, so that will have a particularly powerful resonance for those people in Kansas. There's a man in the film who talks about the question of whether there are more gay people now than there used to be. He says that he thinks there are. Uh, do you think there are more gay people now than there used to be? Uh, it seems like a historical question. Uh, I think there are a lot of gay people now, and in the film you can actually see them. Uh, I, th I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I think there's probably just as, as many, but we're more out now. There's this very strong section in your film, the pink triangle Nazi oh, sequence. Yeah, the heavy-handed sequence. And I wonder if you think that the, the country is moving politically to the right, if we will ever regret being here well, on TV and I put the sequence out. in memorializing the, the, the gays who were uh, rounded up by the Nazis and killed very early in the Hitler regime, basically because most people don't know it happened, but secondly, a lot of gay people have a sort of fear and inkling that this could happen again, and I don't think it might happen again actually, like with 
uh, Nazi-type roundups, but there's that fear that if these laws can be passed and people can have their jobs taken away from them just because of who they love, that this could happen again. So we put that sequence in to both touch that fear aspect, but also be educative about what happened in Germany, yeah. actually happened. In, in tyrannical societies, in oppressive societies, in fascist societies, people are taught to, to dress alike. People are forced to dress alike, to act alike, to perform alike, as opposed to follow their inner needs, their inner wants, their own emotions. And it's easier, it's easier to control people when you don't relate to them on an individual level. All you're relating to them as an image. I'm an individual human being and I want to express that. I want to express the truth inside of me. I mean, everybody is different, and if they express that differentness, then people don't automatically fall into line and start automatically taking orders and automatically um, not question what, what superiors, quote unquote, are telling them to do. And when everybody looks alike, then you're just assuming that everybody is exactly like you so you can take all these liberties with them, as opposed to seeing that people are into different trips. When you look at mass demonstrations in, in totalitarian societies, I mean, where you see these, as many people as there are here today, you don't get a sense of the individual, you don't get a sense that these are real people there, you only, I mean, you see herds of sheep. I mean, the basis of, of racism and sexism and ageism is seeing people as not individuals, but seeing them as part of a group, seeing them as, as stereotypes, you know, a faggot or, or a nigger or a dirty old man. You begin not to think of people as individuals. Um, people dress alike, people talk alike, people raise their hands at the same time. When people are just being themselves, you begin to see that there's this whole diversity. Seeing all these people today just gives one a sense of confidence that that kind of thing could never happen again because there's this whole spectrum of people around and certainly some of us are not going to let that happen again. I notice a lot of people wearing uh, pink triangles today. The pink triangle has come into use in recent years as a, an identification with the gay individuals who were imprisoned in Nazi Germany and who were forced to wear a pink triangle signifying their homosexuality. The sad fact of gay history during that time is that very few people either then or even now realize how many or hundreds of thousands of gay individuals were rounded up thrown into concentration camps and killed, executed uh, summarily or uh, worked to death. The homosexual population in Germany was one of the first populations that was subjected to genocide. In fact, some of the methods of extermination that were used uh, later had first been tried out on gay individuals. Gay people must learn their own, their own history. Many people wear the pink triangle and probably have little idea of how horrible the history of that triangle is.
Women are very well represented in your movie, gay women, mm -hmm. which is nice to see for a change. Yeah, I was so tired of seeing gay problem-oriented documentaries where my women friends would say, yeah, there's the men, but where are the women? Most of them are from New York, my women friends. Uh, so I decided that in our film we would have a balance as best we could achieve of having women speak out and men speak out, and that's been uh, pretty well praised by women and men, that it's a balanced flick. Tell me about the Academy Award thing. Well, we're submitting the film to the uh, Motion Picture Academy Arts and Sciences for the feature documentary category in hopes that it will be nominated and on some wild fluke it might win. When will you hear? Uh, we'll know probably when we all know, and I guess February is when they announce the nominations. Yeah. But there's no reason why Gay Flick can't be put in the running for that. What is your training? What kind of, where have you come from in that you were able to put together this film? Well, I was born and raised on the street where they film West Side Story on West, Side, West 68th Street. And I taught myself how to make movies from watching great movies of the past. So I never went to school for it, which is probably one reason why I still love film very much. Uh-huh. What would you like to do next? Uh, I want to make a feature-length gay narrative story um, about two, two men who are in love for commercial distribution. Yeah, yeah. A sort of a gay breakthrough film that straight people can go see and gay people can go see. Yeah, I wonder when will New Yorkers get a chance to see Gay USA? Hopefully that'll be up to the distributor. Uh, very soon, I suspect. Very soon. We'll probably right after the New Year. Announcement here. Yeah. Oh, I station. Hope so. <laughs> yeah. What kind of editorial decisions dictated the way the film is cut together? Because you managed to take interviews that are separate and put together to create whole new okay. dialogue. The major, the major concept in the film was to show the mass of gay people and then individuate that mass with close-ups, interviews. So we cut from aerial crowd shots showing, showing 100,000 people marching to a direct close-up of a woman talking about coming out, about losing her job for being gay, about the pressures she's been under. And that was our main concept, to cut from mass shots to close-ups to show the movement and also the individuals in that movement. Yeah, it's wonderful. You get a dynamic going. It's sort of a shock, too, because usually that's not the way it's done. Thank you very much for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. Best of luck with the film. I look forward to seeing it again. I think it's wonderful. Thanks, John. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Good night. For the straight folks who don't mind gays but wish they weren't so blatant. You know, some people got a lot of nerve. Sometimes I don't believe the things I see and hear. Have you met the woman who's shocked by two women kissing and in the same breath tells you that she's pregnant? But gays shouldn't be blatant. Or this straight couple sits next to you in a movie and you can't hear the dialogue because of the sound effects. But gays shouldn't be blatant. And the woman in your office spends your whole lunch hour talking about her new bikini drawers and how much her husband likes them. But gays shouldn't be blatant. Or the hip chick in your class rattling a mile a minute while you're trying to get stoned in the john about the camping trip she took with her musician boyfriend. But gays shouldn't be blatant. You go in a public bathroom and all over the walls there's John Loves Mary, Janice Ditch, Richard, Pepe Los Dolores, etc. But gays shouldn't be blatant. Or you go to an amusement park and there's a tunnel of love and pictures of straights painted on the front and grinning couples coming in and out, but gays shouldn't be blatant. The fact is, 
blatant heterosexuals are all over the place. Supermarkets, movies, at work, in church, in books, on television every day and night. Every place, even in gay bars. And they want gay men and women to go hide in the closets. So do you strike folks? I say, sure, I'll go, if you go too. But I'm polite, so after you. If you are interested in booking Gay USA, write Box 1536, 625 Post Street, San Francisco, California, 94109. Wouldn't you like to get out of the city once in a while? Are you tired of the same old places, the same old faces? Wouldn't you like a place that wasn't too far away, but just far enough? A place where movies are shown twice a week, where you can play pool or pinball with friends or just friendly strangers. If this sounds like your kind of place, make headway for Billy the Kid in Jackson Heights, Queens. Take the BMT to 76th Street. We're located directly under the L at 7607 Roosevelt Avenue in Jackson Heights. Billy the Kid, come on. So... We hope you've enjoyed this evening's program. Our next show is not uh, totally in the can yet, so we'll have to leave you in suspense. Uh, until next week, I'm Franco Down. Good night from the Emerald City. You're listening to Not Thinking Straight, and I'm Michael Mack. And this is a story from the I'm From Driftwood podcast. Bill, a.k.a. Corinne. And I'm Alex Berg. And you're listening to the I'm, I'm from, from Driftwood, Driftwood Podcast. So for these two stories, we are talking about romance and how these couples met each other. So let's start off with Simone. I feel like I'm already just smiling as I'm saying <laughs> this amazing. because this was yeah. just like kind of a delightful story. An incredible story. I'm just like, I want to live this story. She was dressed average, just a big winter jacket. Um, sweatpants and rain boots. The train comes and we get on the same train together. I keep looking up at her and I keep looking back down in my poetry book and writing and then I keep looking up at her. I think to myself, okay, wait, I should say something to her. I should say, you have a beautiful voice. I don't say anything because I'm too shy and I'm thinking this girl will think I'm crazy for just walking across the train and talking to her out of nowhere. Number two, she's out of your league. She's way too pretty. And number three, she's probably straight. And I convinced myself that if she gets off at the same stop as me, I am going to say something to her. So it's the stop before my stop. And she ends up getting off the train there. And I'm, I'm like heartbroken because I'm, I'm thinking, damn it, I miss, I miss my shot. Just before she gets off the train, uh, she hands me a note. Uh, the train doors close and I look down at this note and the note says, I'd like to read it slash hear it when it's finished. And it has her email address after. I'm like, yes, I won. Two days later, I send her an email. And the email says, you know, you had a beautiful voice. I met you on J Street. And uh, she emails me back and she says, Simone, that name, ah, it suits you. I take seven days to email her back that, after that first email. I email her finally uh, with a response and I hear nothing back from her. A week goes by, two weeks go by, three weeks. A month later, hey, I haven't stopped thinking about you since that day. Uh, can we meet up? I get no response. And I crumple up the note that she gave me and I throw it in the trash and I'm like, 
you know, I missed, you know, I missed my shot. A year and a half goes by um, after I crumbled up that note. And one particular relationship kind of like hit the end and I was really upset about it. My friend is like, come on out, man. I got a raise, I got a promotion. I'll buy you a drink, let, let that girl go. I'm like, fine, okay, I'll go out. And I'm sitting there having a good time with my friends and in this girl walks, the girl from the train a year and a half ago. I start telling my bros the story and they're like, what, what, what are you doing still sitting here? Go in there and talk to her, go in there and get her, you know? She's dancing on the dance floor and I'm like, okay, I gotta use what I'm good at. Like I, I can't just walk up to her and, and act like she remembers me. I have to use something I'm good at. I can dance. So let me try to get her attention by dancing with her. So I dance around her and we end up dancing kind of with each other. Looks at me like, yeah, like kind of like, oh yeah, like I'm feeling your vibe. Like I like how you dance. And um, she says, what's your name? And I'm like, Simone. I was like, oh, you don't remember me? And she's like, no, don't remember you. Okay, yeah, it's not, it's not a big deal. We met a year and a half ago on the subway. It's, it was a long time ago. It's no biggie, you know? And she goes, oh my God. And she grabs both of my cheeks with her, with her hands and she's like, the poet. She goes like, that's it. Take my number down right now. We're going on a date. We're going on a date. And we take this ferry ride. It's beautiful. The sun is shining. It's a great day. We swing in the hammocks on Governor's Island. We have our first kiss on the hammocks. It's just like this beautiful, like the clouds, you know, parted for us and the sun came out and the rainbows and everything. It was just like, the most perfect first date I could have ever imagined. That girl has goddess energy. You know, you're not gonna find someone like that that's gonna wait around for you to do your mistakes and to, your, to do your fuck ups and stuff like that. You gotta come to somebody like that with that kind of energy with 100%. At the time that Simone recorded that story, they were together. That, still. I mean, it's just such a good story. I mean, it's just an incredible story. And I have to say, it is not insignificant to mention that this woman hands Simone the note before getting off of the train. Like that is what kicks this entire thing off. There would be no story to talk about today here <laughs> if that hadn't happened. Yeah. Like that is what made this happen. And I, I really respect the fact that Simone was like, this person has goddess energy. And like, I, there was no way I was going to be a part of this person's experience if I didn't bring the same level of like amazingness. And I just thought it was beautiful. I was like, wow, that is incredible. Gosh, there were like so many layers to this. I could just, as I was listening, I was like really thinking about being on a subway and having that kind of instant attraction to someone. I have to say, not an experience I've had in my life. Oh, like really? usually when I'm, on a sub when I'm on a subway, I am like sunglasses on. Really? Nobody talks to me. I don't want to be talked wow. to. I'm like, but, but this is like so, because I just, to me, a subway is like not a romantic place. But you do have star quality so that you might be in your incognito like i'm in my I'm incognito do not talk to me right now situation. i'm having a new york subway moment and i do not want to talk to any of my fans so i get it yeah i get it <laughs> i get it i i have definitely been on subways and definitely had this thing with some like a stranger and nothing came of it but it, it this story made me realize there were several times in the story which simone talks about shooting your shot Mm. Not something I'm good at. <laughs> it's not something I'm good at. And it just made me realize, holy crap. Like, it's the idea of, like, putting it out there and just doing it and being like, I'm just going to shoot my shot. I'm just going to see what happens here. And, like, my thing is, like, I think I'm more overwhelmed by the getting shot down than I oh, am about yeah. getting shot. I'm just like, oh, my goodness. What if this goes south? I'm like, 
you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe what's great about the story is that that feeling of like, what if this doesn't go well was less than the feeling of what if this goes mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Maybe, this, maybe mm-hmm. what if this goes right? I think Simone realized that like, I was given more chances than than most people are given. Like I was given more mm. chances and I can't squander the chances. Mm-hmm. I got to get on this. I was like, this is a great story. <laughs> this is such a good story. It's, it's so actually, good. my mind was a little blown because I was like, this needs to be a movie. I because totally also the rekindling, like just the odds that you would rekindle this a year and a half later. I mean, I feel like it's one of those moments where you're like, this is, to me, it felt like a very uniquely queer story because if you're just like a straight person in New York City, you got so many bars to go to, right. so many places to go to. Right. And I feel like if you are a queer person, there are probably like a finite number of places that you're going to go to when you're going out with your friends. Right. And so the odds are higher that you're going to encounter these people. So to me, in a way that felt like very reflective of what it's like to be in a community or like seeing some of the same people over and over again, but also just like, wild that a full year and a half later these two are running into each other and just that it like managed to work out this way and this made me think of this i'm like so in my inspirational mode at this moment yes forgive me but i love this i love this ruby quote which is live life like the odds are in your favor yes and i feel like it's just so it reminded me of that because it's like you know simone took a risk those are the moments where you make room for magic like i literally think that I am serious when I say this. It's like, you can schedule your life to a T. You make no room for magic, you will have no magic. (laughs) Like, make a minute of not planned, not scheduled, this is off the cuff, like, just go for it. That is where magic happens in your life. I truly could not agree with you more. Come on, right? Because, yeah. Do you want to high five me? Do it. I do, do want to high five you. <laughs> I almost want to high five you like louder. In face do it. So do it. Our listeners can hear. No, it's, I, I could not agree with you more because I, I also feel like when it comes, in my experience with dating and relationships, there have been times in my life where I like really wanted to be in a relationship and I was doing all of the calculated. Yeah. Online dating, yeah. all of the quote unquote, like right things that you're supposed to do. And then right. it's, always i like hate this it's always when you like least expect it you're not looking like why is that because you're at you're in relaxed mode okay it's like it's like it like i feel like when i say magic i mean the world in your life sometimes takes over in ways that you can't understand right and so i think what that's about is that you relaxed enough to let it do that Like, those mm. things will happen over and over mm. again if you give it a minute. Mm-hmm. Like, just give it a freaking minute. That's what this story with Simone reminds me of. And, like, that's mm. why. I feel like this is one of the reasons why I live in New York City. Because you always feel like at any moment you could have, like, a life-changing interaction. I, or I definitely it, feel it's that. It's like at any, it's like, you know, sometimes that. when you get so frustrated with this dang city or any city, it's like, it's just still, and you, have you could be on moment. the subway and oh you're, yeah. But I just want to say one of the best moments I've had in the city, and I've lived in the city pretty much all my life, right? I'm from here. I was on a train one day and some guy gets on the train and starts playing that, that Green Day song, Time of Your Life or whatever. <laughs> like literally, he's playing it on the guitar. <laughs> and people are just like, they start nodding and then they start singing. Before you know it, the entire car is singing it. Oh I, my God. My heart almost broke open. I was yeah. like, what is happening? It was the most magical thing. And everyone is singing. 
Like they are all singing. People are just smiling at each other, being like, "Hope you had the time oh of my- your life." Like everyone is. Just, it was the most magical thing I've ever experienced. I was like, I can never guess that, yeah. and I could never plan that. Right? It's again that. No one could plan that. We're just right. going to all get on the seven train at around one o'clock. Mm-hmm. We're going to be in the third car. We're going to do a sing-along to like Green Day. <laughs> like no one can do You can't really? plan it. It's like a flash. Like so insane. Yeah. And everyone walks out of there and they are on fire. They're so in love with the city, with the people in the car. They're mm-hmm. just in love. It was gorgeous. Ugh. It was beautiful. What, I, I, what, what like a beautiful story. Oh, I, can't, I can't even talk about it. Okay, so <laughs> I feel bad, but let's no. move on okay. to the next story. Sam's story. Let's talk about Sam. Sam's story, just there are many layers to this story. <laughs> this is also one that could be a movie because it's just also, there are just, there are so many layers. About six years ago, I bought a uh, 1982 Nissan Datsun 280ZX T-top. Um, she was originally like grey green and I painted her yellow. Um, and I shared this car with my best friend Jerome and we called it Nancy and she was gorgeous. And so my ex-girlfriend uh, that I was with, my partner, um, she would drive it and she would always, like, I could always tell when she was driving Nancy because I'd get in Nancy and she just wasn't happy, you know, I was like, it's all right, <laughs> it's fine. And it sounds really daft, but she just, you just had to drive her really just how it was and when you did she just went so good and so my ex she uh this is one night um with our relationship was kind of falling apart at the time and um she calls me up at four in the morning and i had to be at work at six i was a mechanic and she said that uh i had to come and fix nancy she had let this girl that she blatantly had a huge crush on some artist that she worked with drive the car who didn't even know how to drive a stick shift um, on like fucking Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, and I don't know, it was just, it was so frustrating and shitty uh, and made me feel extra kind of stupid and angry that I had to go over and fix my own car that she had just given to some other girl to drive uh, just to kind of impress her. From the studios of Bay FM in Byron Bay and across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Not Thinking Straight, and this is an episode of I'm From Driftwood. So the best friend that I had brought the car with, um, he had moved to like Montreal and then he was in New York, and so soon afterwards uh, I went to go and visit him and we were drinking at this bar, uh, 10 Below I think it's called, and we were drawing on napkins, we're like, we've got to get matching tattoos, what can we get? And we're going through all these different things, because we lived together for a while in, in Los Angeles, and we were like, Nancy, let's just get Nancy. So we went outside, I used to smoke back then, and went outside for a cigarette, and we ran into this chick who was... Um, cool and fun, just smoking, you know, we're like having a few drinks and getting a bit bit tipsy. Um, uh, and then go back inside and so she introduces us to her friend. Her friend's name is Lucy. She just turns to me and she's like kind of drunk and just not interested in meeting anyone. And she's like, hi, my name's Lucy. And I was like, oh my God, she's 
from Yorkshire or she's like from the north and I'm from the south so um I was like god and the accent's really nice and I was like oh you're from England she's like yeah I'm from England because when you're English I was like oh where are you from and she was kind of too drunk to notice my accent <laughs> so she didn't even care sort of like a few drinks we had maybe another one another round and she said uh well they were both like well we're gonna go now because we're gonna go get matching tattoos and we're like whoa what well we were gonna go get matching tattoos today um as well let's just all go together so we all just you know hung out drank some more went and found this place on like St. Mark's or something, went upstairs and <laughs> like um, choosing what we wanted, like the fonts and stuff. But it was such a good night and we went and got food and we were probably up till about six in the morning, just all of us. We were probably from about two to six, two in the afternoon to six in the morning, just all four of us just hanging out, two sets of best friends. It was really sweet with our little tattoos. <laughs> we were downstairs in like this underground like basement thing, which I feel like was right underneath the tattoo place. Lucy went over to the bar and then I like went up next to her and I just started, I guess, hitting on her quite intensely. Um, she was straight, so she had never been with a girl before. And I was like, I really want to take you home <laughs> is what I said uh, maybe some other stuff that I'm not going to repeat but <laughs> and, uh, and she was like no you know, I'm, I'm straight you know I don't even like girls and I was like oh, okay worth a shot so we went and had food and and I like I went to the loo and then came out and Lucy's like right you're coming home with me and then I was like whoa really <laughs> so and then I was like well is this the right thing? You know, I've never um, been disloyal to my partner who was back in LA. And I kind of made my mind up in the cab and was just like, that's it then, I, you know, that's, I can't, I can't be with this, this woman anymore. Um, I made the decision to leave her in the cab, really, on the way back uh, to Lucy's house. It was really hard for me leaving my partner, my life and everything. Um, not really knowing where I was going and I definitely went through some bad parts and you know Lucy and I were would see each other probably like once a month maybe twice every three times every two months and we would break up we would get back together we'd break up get back together you know become exclusive and then just you know open it up again and and then we we had decided to just to end it this once this one time and I would when we weren't talking, we weren't talking for about six months and it was so soul destroying. You know, I, I just wanted to put her into every scenario or every adventure that I was going on. I wanted to imagine that she was there with me. After the six months apart, I just realized it was not worth it and I wanted to do everything in my power to uh, make it work for us. And so um, I got her ring, made the decision to move to New York and initially just spent the summer here and then just just wanted to go full on and so yeah I moved to to New York to be with her and then in January um, I proposed to her when we were in Mexico so we got engaged and it was yeah I don't know it's just been amazing every every minute I'm with her it's I just need more minutes with her you know you just want the entirety of someone and with her I just want all of her more of her all the time and I think being married to her would just be such a peaceful 
bless. Are you kidding me? Shoot your shot. <laughs> Completely shoot your what shot. What is that? About? I mean, it's just like, it's giving me, it's inspiring me. I'll tell you that much because I'm like, if somebody, honestly, it's the fear that a lot of people who are queer being like, oh, I'm going to hit on this person and they're going to be straight and that's going to be the end of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm pretty sure Sam tried to hit on Lucy, went to the bathroom, came back out of the bathroom and Lucy's like, actually, <laughs> maybe, possibly, okay, yes. <laughs> okay, like, like literally, like what happened? Uh, truly, like what who happened? talked to Lucy? Thank you person somebody, who, a, who had a somebody little cat, was like, had a heart to heart with Lucy. Somebody was like, Lucy, maybe you need to give this to Sean. <laughs> And Lucy was like, maybe I do. And then Lucy, Sam comes out the bathroom and Lucy's like, we're going home. <laughs> I was like, what? To which I say, we're all straight until we're not. <laughs> we're all straight until we're not straight. This story was just so a trip because it was like, we're the, all straight till we're not. there was just like so much like the car there's like this car and there's the ex and there's like this whole situation that happens in Los Angeles of imagining Sam's ex's crush taking the car driving it along Hollywood Boulevard messing with the car there's like that whole story then there's like this new New York chapter again this story is like somebody make this into a movie you (laughs) know and then it just but it's also just to the spontaneity conversation we were having it's like so many moments of spontaneity. And there's something about that, again, that feels very uniquely queer to me, that like capacity to take chances. Also, I feel like nightlife is so important to queer people in a way that I feel like with straight people, and I don't want to make broad sweeping generalizations, it's just like, I feel like queer people, you know, you can go out to spaces to find people who are like you. And so it, it also feels like this uniquely queer, putting yourself out into the world in a way that's very bold. Yeah, and yeah. and so I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I really did appreciate the story as well. And I, I mean, again, like I, I don't know what happened when they went to the bathroom. I mean, maybe some of that magic I was talking about earlier like came in because I'm like, I don't understand what happened because it didn't sound like a lot of time passed between the no, I'm straight and I don't date girls and oh, we're going home. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> like, yeah. I need a recap. I need I need to I need to like check in. I need to go back and be like, hey, Lucy, what happened? We want part two. <laughs> We want the sequel to this one, which is Lucy's story. But also, what a leap of faith for Lucy as well to also be like, I'm identifying as straight right now or me being uncertain or who knows. I don't want to assume Lucy's perspective, but then to also like take this risk and now to also be engaged to this person again. Story couldn't have happened without two people exercising their full agency to to make it happen. But you know, what's interesting throughout the story is that like Sam notes many times throughout the story that Lucy was disinterested, like disinterested in like Lucy was a little drunk and was not really noticing that Sam also had an English accent. Lucy was like introduced herself and was like, uh, like, yeah, hi, I'm Lucy, like didn't seem interested. And all of a sudden I'm just like, what happened? <laughs> Lucy, tell us what happened. Come on, Lucy. We want to know. 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 Like, I just want to know. But it's it's fascinating. But I do think the shoot your shot thing Mm -hmm. is a big thing. Mm -hmm. Because without that, we don't have stories to talk about Mm -hmm. here, right? It's nothing happens. And people don't, like, people are taking risks. Speaking of shooting your shot, I feel like one of the hardest things about dating is the sense of rejection, the the capacity of rejection. Because I feel like just as human beings, like, we're almost hardwired to be averse to rejection. It's the worst. And we'll do anything we can to not be rejected. And so I just praise both of these 
folks because they just went at, forged ahead I agree. in the middle of the, re the rejection because I feel like that is such a difficult thing to do. And I think of my own New York experiences, like there have definitely been times when I've, I shot it, <laughs> I shot my shot. I don't even know what it is, but I, I put myself out there and yeah. like crashed and oh, yeah. burned. Oh, I've been there, I've, been, I've definitely been there. But you know what? I will go back to what we talked about with the first story with Simone. Let's not make it mean more than it is. Mm. We don't even know what it means. True, true, true. It could literally be that you remind this person of somebody else and they're like, absolutely not. But that's on them because it's like, you don't know me. Right? You're now ascribing me to someone else and you don't know me. There are a million reasons why somebody might say no. And we always want to go to the worst reason and it may not be a big deal. You might be like, oh, I get that. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, you yeah. can't do it. I get it. Or I feel like it is okay if someone is just not romantically attracted to 100%. you. 100%. And I feel like part of growing up and becoming more mature with dating yeah. and romance is yeah. also being able to like live with that. Yes. And just and also being able to almost like depersonalize it in a way where you're like, cool, we could be friends. Like you're just not romantically interested in, in me. And there's no reason for me to pursue this because I want somebody who is actually of course. romantically of course. invested in right. in me. You right. know, I feel like it takes it's hard to get to that point, but I feel like that was one of the biggest lessons I learned in terms of dating yeah. was like not going for people who weren't interested in me right. and also right. being able to put myself out there and then live with the rejection or not even rejection, just the almost like taking it down a notch to be like, not everybody can be into everybody at the same time. Right, right. You and know? I think it's such, it's such, and what you just said is just so, the idea of being like, okay, if somebody's not romantically interested in me, you, we've, we've all met people who are not romantically interested and it's not, it is not anything against them. It's just like, there's something either there or something not there. And it's like, if it's not there, it's like, maybe it's, it doesn't have to be so personal. Maybe you don't have to take it hard so much. It's just like, it's either there or it's not. And it's like, okay for it not to be there. And, but I think it's what you just said is great. I, I hope that I can move forward being like, I'm gonna shoot my shot. I'm gonna shoot my here, <laughs> shoot my shot there. Like, I, I am one that's very averse to like a projection. It's like really hard for me. And I'm like, I want to make friends with it. Yeah. I want to make friends with it. I don't want to like, I don't want to run from it. I want to make friends with it. Yeah. Because I feel like it, all it is, you know what? Rejection's information. Hmm. That's what it is. It's always more information about what works, mm -hmm. what doesn't work. If we could just look at it that and not make it mean so much, we'd, we'd be like, whatever, it's okay. It's actually yeah. cool. It's just, you got yeah. more information, you're good. Sitting here at the like, ages and vantage points that we are at. I, just one thing I'll say is I do feel like dating is easier when your cerebral cortex is fully developed because <laughs> let me tell you, in my early 20s, uh, you know, I've been through therapy. I have like done some work on myself and uh, I just, I do feel like it is easier having a fully developed brain to process all the dating stuff. But one thing that I will always be so grateful for is that I really feel like I was able to date a lot of different kinds of people. I really was able to like experience queer nightlife. And I feel like that was super important to me to be able to sit here and have this conversation and put myself out there and experience rejection. And I, you know, I'm glad I had all of those life experiences, yeah. even though I look back and I'm like, oh my God, I can't <laughs> believe I wrote my number on that receipt for that bartender. You know, it's like, even though We've all been I there. look back, I look back We've in those moments where I'm like, oh Why my God. Why did I do it? Oh, yeah, what were you yeah. thinking? No, nah, oh. I mean, listen, it's yeah. shooting your shot. I mean, and shooting your shot means it's not like you, the shot lands every time. It's that, it's that it's, you're just shooting and you have to 
like so that something does land but like you did the right thing yeah you did the right thing you don't want to be looking back in your life i feel like no one of us not one of us like simone doesn't want to look back and be like someone would have been really like looking back and being like what if i had gone up and, and tried to dance with this woman yeah what if i had like let go of what happened in the year and a half ago when they didn't like ghosted me and i just if I didn't let that go, where would I be right now? Mm -hmm. Like, I wouldn't be in this relationship with this woman that I have think has goddess energy. Like, what, what more beautiful thing can you say about someone you're dating? Mm -hmm. Fucking beautiful. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's great. I'm, I'm just crossing all over the place. I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing now. But Andy can bleep us. <laughs> you're like, get it out of there, Andy. Bleep us. Get it out. But no, it's like, it's just beautiful. And I think the, the shooting the shot thing, like, I have respect anybody that's going to do that. I think yeah. it's so good. It's like, it's so good. from Driftwood Podcast is hosted by Phil aka Corinne and Alex Berg and is produced by Andy Egan Thorpe. The podcast is recorded as part of I'm from Driftwood, a worldwide nonprofit LGBTQIA plus story archive. Its mission is to help LGBTQIA plus people learn more about their community, help straight people learn more about their neighbors, and for everyone to learn more about themselves all through the power of storytelling. I'm from Driftwood's founder and executive director is Nathan Mansky. Its program director is Damian Middlefelt. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Additional funding is provided by TD Bank and Heritage of Pride, New York. Our score is provided by Elevate Audio. The stories you heard today are available in their entirety, plus thousands more at imfromdriftwood.org. You can also follow I'm From Driftwood on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks y'all for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, and if you're able to, consider making a donation at imfromdriftwood.org slash donate. No donation is too small to help us continue collecting and sharing queer and trans stories. And now on Not Thinking Straight, it's time to open our hearts and minds and channel the queer guru also known as Roger Walker Dak, from one end of the globe to another. This week, he talks with filmmaker Aaron Bear about his new documentary, Yes, I Am, The Rick Wyland Story, the tale of an extraordinary man who was one of the LGBTQ community's greatest activists and philanthropists that so few people knew about. Rick Wyland was a brilliant programmer, queer pioneer, and one of the earliest employees of Microsoft. He dedicated his life and fortune to philanthropy and activism, but personal struggles eventually became too much to bear. Rick was a very, very complex thinker. Always a little bit of a hard guy to figure out. He didn't have something to 
prove to you. But he was an incredible programmer. Computers are the art form I relate to. Lifestyle of homosexuals has triggered an epidemic. All of my friends and colleagues are dying. How can I help? He became such a strategic activist. He was one of the top donors to these organizations. If I had told him that I loved him, that was upsetting to him. He didn't feel like he deserved love. My days are very empty. So congratulations on your wonderful new movie, Yes, I Am, The Rick Wyland Story, which Queer Guru has chosen as one of our top picks for the Outshine Virtual Film Festival, which is happening this week. Now, without giving it all away, Alan, can you tell us briefly what your documentary is about? Yeah, so, um, well, first, Roger, thank you for for uh, putting a spotlight on Rick and oh. his life and, and this film. Uh, the film is about Rick's life and legacy and all of his accomplishments. And it's really, I mean, it can be a human story. He uh, accomplished so many things uh, for us queer folk that nobody knows who he is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that when, when I tell people, you know, I, I made this film, they're like, oh, who's Rick Wyland? And I said, well, it was Bill Gates, Paul Allen, and Rick Wyland. He basically started Microsoft. But that's only just a, a compartment of, yeah. of his life. Um, you know, he didn't officially become a third partner and dedicated his life to LGBTQI philanthropy when nobody else was giving. Uh, there was no government funding, and this was in the, the, the days of, like, ACT UP and, you know, these grassroots organizations who are now, like, huge organizations uh, owe such a, a, a deep gratitude uh, towards Rick. And at the end of the day, it's, in a way, a, a, a survival story of, of how queer people continue to live on through people like Rick. And that is, in my mind, his legacy is, you know, we all... We all benefit from from Rick's doings. So he is was a major, major queer activist and philanthropist. I'm a journalist. Why did I never hear of him before? It's Rick had a special type of personality and brain to where, you know, a lot of people they want to be recognized for their accolades. You know, you want to be recognized for your journalism or films or mm -hmm. something like that. But Rick did not. He did not want any spotlight on him whatsoever and it was a mixture of of being shy you know it's like your your, your own inner saboteur of feeling like you don't deserve it or something and um you know i've been living i've been living in his life for the past now almost going on six years and it's it's been um quite a journey of uh running a parallel path with mm -hmm. my own uh mental health and looking at my own mental health for the first time for and ever and uh so i don't know if there's a if there's like yeah. a correct answer for that um he because he's not here to tell the story yeah but how did you come to hear about him and why did you decide to choose to make this documentary about him yeah i was approached by um michael fela who was in the film one of rick's best friends about um about producing and directing a film about his life and 
you know, it, it's, it was at a film fest and, you know, when you're at film fest, you're having all of these sort of five minute conversations <laughs> yeah. and it's just sort of like your brain's in a hundred different places. And I said, well, email me. So he did. And that was in uh, August of 2016. <laughs> in the beginning, I was unsure because, um, because Rick was, was so elusive and shy. Uh, it was, it was like cracking open a cold case. Yeah. It was like trying to like dig up stuff trying to figure out who he was through his friends through his the people who knew him and there was there was like a solid year and a half of research and through that but through that year and a half of research mm -hmm. i realized how important uh, he was was to to the community to queer people to uh to change mm -hmm. and, uh the deeper i got into rick's life the more it just seeped into me and yeah. of, uh, that I felt as though I needed to mm -hmm. tell the story and I, and I could tell it in an authentic way. People can have to see and watch the movie to understand the full extent and importance of this, of this life. Do you think there's any equivalent of a Rick Wyland in our queer community nowadays? Uh, good question. Uh, I was thinking about this the other night mm -hmm. and I'm sure that there is but maybe this person doesn't want to be known either. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, now I understand that. Um, yeah. but with so many, many things like, uh, and organizations like, uh, AA glad and who have been a supporter of the film because Rick was such a supporter of glad, uh, back in the day. And, um, I'm sure within the film you see this, like they have actually yeah. have a Rick Wyland award. Mm -hmm. uh, that they that they give out. Um, so I think his legacy has sort of like the butterfly effect of yeah uh, of inspiring other queer people. Cute. What do you want people to take away from this film? The essence of this film from the very beginning is uh, death is not the end, and your mm -hmm. you can a mark. Um, big or small on somebody mm -hmm. or and especially as queer people uh we're, we're already up against so many other things if you can help i feel like if, if this film can help inspire uh one one person one one teenager in the midwest uh then i feel like the film is succeeding. So, so before we go Let's talk about Seattle. You, Rick, your one, your uh, producer Wes Hurley, are part of Seattle's, Seattle's extraordinary queer culture, which is unlike any other city in the U.S. Is there something in the water up there? Uh, I think there's something in the rain up here in <laughs> Seattle that must be. Yeah, Seattle has. Uh, you know, I've I've lived in the South. I grew up in the Midwest. I lived in San Francisco, and I've called Seattle home for now 14 years. And Seattle is Seattle's queer community is is just that a community, and it feels like that where. Um, you know, you go to L.A., San Francisco, and it's kind of like disparate sort of feeling. Seattle's queer community is like sort of everybody. It's like small town, big town sort of feel. Everyone knows each other. Yeah. Um, mostly everyone supports each other. And I mean, that's how Wes and I met. Yeah. It's a special place. I mean, it's Seattle, it, no matter how much it changes, it will always be sort of weird and its own very unique place. It's not the amount of talent. 
It's the quality of talent. And what more can you say about a city that adopts Dina Martina as its patron saint? I mean, Dina Martina is, is uh, kind of the patron saint of, of Seattle. And we, I, we, I, we think so, too. So what's next for your film? Uh, next with the film is going to be doing a festival run, and then uh, who knows? I hope to uh, you know show it to the world um, at, at some point in, in whatever form or fashion that that that, that transpires. Mm-hmm. So, you, you mentioned earlier to remind us how long the process is. You had the first meeting in 2016. Yeah. Have you had the first meeting of your next film, and should we know about it? Actually, yeah, I, I, have, I am working on two projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm working on a uh, TV series for the first time. Uh, it's called There is a Light That Never Goes Out. Please don't sue us, Morrissey. Um, and it's about a based on true events about a friend of mine named Richard Drews, who's also a producer, uh, about being kicked out of his, his family home in 1989 and finding his way in downtown Milwaukee. Uh, and... Mm-hmm. Height of the AIDS epidemic, and uh, also Jeffrey Dahmer roaming the gay bars, and he finds this uh, this place downtown called the Norman, which is very a la Chelsea Hotel, mm-hmm. but M- Milwaukee, uh, sort of finding his tribe and finding his his chosen family. Um, and then I'm uh, working on a feature film, also based on true events. I just can't get away from uh, these these mm-hmm. uh, true events, brother. Um, uh, about a friend of mine whose dad was uh, one of the first people to pass away from AIDS in 1983 in Smalltown, Texas. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give anything else away, but it's uh, mm-hmm. it's taken from the story of her mother and and sort of uh, how the, all of that inspired. So a TV series and a feature film. So <laughs> we look forward to seeing W in another four years, and we should acknowledge before we go that you're also a producer on Wes Hurley's Wonderful Film, Potato Dreams America, which we adored to. Thanks for finding the time to talk to us, and good luck with it. And I'm sorry you won't be here for the to screen it in Miami. Well, I wish I was, and thank you so much, Roger. You're welcome. I need to like myself and what I do. I need to recognize what's lovable in me. My days are very empty. Rick was pivotal in the information age and the gay rights movement. We wouldn't live in the world that we live in today without the contribution that Rick made. Brilliant, generous, media shy. With his signature on the foundation of one of the most recognized brands in the world, his commitment to gay rights and HIV AIDS research, and his passionate and quiet dedication to philanthropy, Rick Wyland changed the world we live in. An openly gay software pioneer, Rick found early wealth as the second employee at Microsoft in 1975. He was an integral and valued part of their early success and helped shape the company into what it is today. Feeling uneasy and undeserving of his newfound wealth and plagued with depression and imposter syndrome, Rick retired at 35 to quiet nagging doubts and to create impactful and meaningful change in the world around him. His generosity and influence helped shape modern HIV-AIDS research, marriage equality, and protections for LGBTQ employees at some of the biggest names in the business. Through the personal diaries he left behind, we see a clear picture of the beloved, talented, and troubled man that Rick Wyland was. It's a chilling reminder that no matter how much success one finds, everybody needs help. 
geniuses included. Yes, I Am, The Rick Wyland Story is a feature documentary narrated by Zachary Quinto and directed by Aaron Bear. If you'd like to follow The Queer Guru, just visit his website at thequeerguru.com or check him out on YouTube, The Queer Guru. And the links on his website, queerguru.com, include Queer Guru TV links and also you can sign up for his newsletter. As always, we thank The Queer Guru for kindly sharing his work with us here on Not Thinking Straight. the studios of Bay FM in Byron Bay and broadcasting across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Not Thinking Straight with Michael Mack. The following segment may contain some minor strong language. My special guest on Not Thinking Straight is Kiralee Lynch and Kiralee is about to commence a 10-week online course for lesbian, bi, trans or questioning women around their sexuality. I began by asking Kiralee Lynch... What inspired her to create this project? So I've got this course, right? It's called So You Want to Fuck Women. And it is born actually of my own experience. So I I dated women when I was younger, like in in high school, I dated women. Uh, And then I dated men and then I married a man and I spent, you know, 12 years with this man. And then coming out the other side of that, I started to question myself again and I hadn't been with women I hadn't been dating women I felt very disconnected I felt like I'm really uncertain and unsure and I didn't know what I was doing and at the time I was a world traveler and then I got stuck in Australia by COVID and I think in COVID I did what a lot of us did and that is have some really big effing realizations right especially around our own desire around the things we've been putting off around the things we haven't been letting ourselves have or we've just been hiding behind the busyness of our lives and the constantly doing something. And so when I landed in the Northern Rivers, I was like, right, I need to figure out what I'm doing here. I need to figure out what I want. And I decided I was only going to date women and see how it worked out for me. And really, really well, 10 out of 10, totally would recommend, absolutely. (laughs) And so I went through this journey of discovering my own sexuality and really realizing that at age 40, I'm a lesbian. Like I kind of always was, but I just hadn't really figured it out. And the entire time I was doing this, having this really amazing, thrilling, awkward, clumsy, brilliant, weird journey. I was looking for my community and I was looking for a dialogue and and groups and support networks around women coming into same-sex desire later in life. And I couldn't find any. It was crickets out there. There's nothing. Um, In fact, I kind of found the opposite. I found a bit of dismissal and certainly like a lot of biphobia and kind of lesbian invisibility. And so I decided I wanted to make something for the women who are coming after me. And it's kind of like throwing down the rope ladder and helping them them get up maybe a little bit easier than, than I got up and offering them everything that I didn't have when I was going through this, through this adventure. Um, I think more and more gay people are moving here as well. I mean, more of everyone is moving here, so it must be the queers too, right? And I feel like, yeah, there is a little bit of social something that we haven't quite gelled together yet. I think we're on it, but we're not quite there yet. My big passion around this is a broad church. So more, more, just more queers. Like that's essentially what I'm in this for is more queers. And again, around like kind of the buying visibility, I have this idea that if every woman who wanted to F a woman and date women and love women. When I say F women, obviously I mean like everything, right? You know, dating, loving, connecting with. If every woman who wanted to do that did that, 
my theory is that all of a sudden queers would have the numbers. That's it. We run the world. And so that this is what this is about, is like more community, broader church, more people identifying as queer. Because I think more people are queer than know or are represented, especially, again, so the bi women um, in maybe in, you know, straight looking relationships or really femme women who, are, you know, who don't visibly look gay, whatever that means. Um, yeah, this is all about, it's all about community. It's all about connection. And it's all about more and more people being able to really confidently stand up and, and identify with their queerness. And, it, and it's really for women who are coming to it later in life is the big thing as well. And so a large part of this for me is looking at the youth and I'm 41 right now. So I'm like ancient. So I look at the youth and I think, you know, it was pretty brutal for me in high school in Coffs Harbour in the 90s with a girlfriend. It all had to be hidden. When it came out, it was a disaster. And I look at kids now, and I know it's not the same everywhere, but there's a lot of places now where you can be a gay teen and come out, and it's fine. Like, it's okay. And they have different programming around what it means to accept your gender diversity or your sexual diversity than we had as kids. And it's like the culture shifted and so many women of my age haven't quite caught up yet. And this is about looking to the kids and learning from them and undoing the programming that was given to us as kids that gets in the way of us just sitting really comfortably in our desire. And it's a 10-week online course. So tell us about that. So I'm a spiritual bitch. Are we allowed to say that word? Um, <laughs> I think if we can say the F word, we can say the B word. <laughs> yeah, okay, great. I'm a spiritual bitch. So that that's very much the, the way I come at this from. So it's all about female desire. And when I say women, I want to be really clear. Trans women, non-binary femmes, like, yes, absolutely. So it's about women uncovering their desire and really giving time and space to the thoughts and the ideas and the longings and the feelings that we've put on the shelf and not addressed at all. So it's about going deep inside of ourselves and understanding what it is we actually want and then understanding why we haven't been able to access it. So I do a lot of work in the course about understanding compulsory heterosexuality and what COMPET has done to us and the programming we get from our society and our culture and our families that tell us there's only one way to be and so we kind of fall in line. So there's a lot of work around individual desire and then understanding structural messaging around desire and how that presents in blockages in ourselves. So there's a lot of that, but there's a lot of practical. There's also a lot of practical work as well. So, um, or like practical guidance. So for a woman who wants to have sex with a woman who doesn't know where to begin, we've got that covered. It's okay, there's a whole module on that. And really also about having safe space to ask your questions and not feel silly and not feel like you're gonna offend somebody or get canceled. Having a really safe container when you're new to something to be able to be like, I've got, I have questions. <laughs> How do lesbians even have sex? Could you draw me a diagram? Yep, I'll draw you a diagram, not a problem, let's go. <laughs> so will this be an interactive online course? Yes, absolutely. So again, because it's about community and it's about safe spaces, um, round one starts on November 23. I'm hoping to build it out to be a really regular thing and, and I'm at the beginning and I'm very excited. And it's online, it's on Zoom and we meet every two weeks together so that we can share if people want to or hear, listen, whatever, um, share our experiences, talk about what's going on for us, receive the topic of the week. And then in the two weeks between the meetings, there's personal work that you do at home as well. So. And will there be opportunities for social get togethers after or? I really hope so. Like this is really what I want to build out is that this is the community, like 
that we then we support each other but we date each other as well looking for women to date great come along like here's all these other women looking to date women right so um yeah i hope that we become each other's friends i hope that we become each other's lovers i certainly hope that it's a place for the bi girls who feel super invisible and don't even know where to begin finding women to date can come and do that and and you know like it, it's the beginning and i hope it builds up to be something really big and beautiful and it's an amazing community of women loving each other loving themselves and uh fucking each other and fucking themselves <laughs> important work really important work i haven't found this anywhere i wish i didn't have to do this actually no i don't i i love my job but i i do i have not found this anywhere else and that's why i'm doing it because these resources don't appear to exist like please correct me if i'm wrong if somebody listening knows more about resources send them to me but i haven't been able to find them and that's why i love people like you that, that do stuff like you know if it's if it's not there you go out and create it and is it aimed mostly at single people or couples or Oh, yeah, that's a good question, actually. Um, I think all all takers, or should I say all comers? So, yeah, like I think just anybody who feels the calling, anybody who identifies, and especially those people who are uncertain. This is who I'm really interested in, like the awkward queers, the uncertain queers, the people who are worried, the women who are worried they're not queer enough. Like this is their space. This is where they can be welcomed um, into themselves. And like one of the jokes I've been making is there is not a completion certificate. Like you don't, the first time you fuck a woman, you don't get a certificate. Maybe you do. I haven't figured it out yet. But even if a woman came to this and she went through the whole thing and she uncovered her desire and got to the end of it and was like, actually, no, I'm not into women. I thought I was, I did this work. I, it's clear to me I'm not. As far as I'm concerned, that's still a success because it's about women uncovering their own desire and being able to sit really comfortably in it. And what sort of age group are you gearing it towards? Look, in my head, it's 35 plus. But again, I'm really open, like broad church, right? So if um, if somebody who's like 27 feels like she's a little bit late to this and finding her same-sex desire later in her life, she's welcome, you know? If somebody 65 plus is in the same boat, she's welcome. Like, yeah, it's whoever, I guess it's whoever thought maybe they were one thing and are now starting to entertain the possibility that they could be another thing and want to really step towards that joyfully. Like this is all about joy. It's all about celebration. It's all about being comfortable with yourself. And it's really all about blooming, blooming. It's all about blooming. What better to do in spring than to bloom, right? Tell us the social media where people can go on to. Yeah, so if you want to find my social media, I am sacred and profane on social media. And well, my website is kirileelynch.com and that's K-I-R-I-L-E-I-G-H. Such a weird spelling. Lynch, L-Y-N-C-H.com. Yeah, so you can find me there. And at the moment, it's it's a little bit word of mouth. Queer family have been so supportive. Very grateful to Aiden, who is a freaking legend. Oh, just amazing. I, I, I just love them. And yes. um, never really got behind this and supported this and so you can go find the queer family um facebook page as well and get more information and there's a facebook group also yeah at the moment it's really it's social media that i'm um putting it out through and and word of mouth like i've been germinating this idea for a little while and everyone i've told has kind of told someone else who's told someone else it does seem to kind of have a little bit of good timing around it people women are ready for this i think is sacred and profane is my instagram website is curiallylynch.com you can also find more information like i said on the queer family facebook page and if you want to talk to me one-on-one go to my website there's a comments section or like a get in touch page and you can get in touch with me and i'll like happily talk you through it i could talk about this all day every day 
I host another event called Under a Queer Moon because it's a spiritual bitch. Um, so I do full moon queer healing events. And that's been amazing. That's been incredible to, to create something and ground it into the community. And we had 14 queers at the last one sitting around the fire, like sharing their wisdom. It was amazing. And then there was a dance party. It was amazing. And so the uh, the desire for this as well is to get yeah, grounded in the community and make a place that women can go and be together in community. And now that we're kind of getting to the point where restrictions are eased and things are gradually coming back to whatever normal is that would definitely be the idea for next year we start at the end of this month round one starts at the end of this month so if you want in there's still a couple of spaces left well it's been lovely to talk to you good luck with the project lovely to meet you Kiralee likewise bye From the studios of Bay FM in Byron Bay and broadcasting across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you've been listening to Not Thinking Straight with Michael Mack. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, goodbye. Well, you can twist and It's good for my voice, but you won't fool the children of the revolution. Now you won't fool the children of the revolution. Now, now, now.